Thank you for joining me on our podcast, Crossroads of Faith, a place to embrace the power that is fueling our journey with God. My name is Nathan. As I was preparing uh, for this podcast, um, I came across a video. It's coming to prayer after watching, and here, here, here's what happened, and I was really caught off guard, and I really felt God's presence and uh, a real meaning behind what I am trying to accomplish here by helping others study the Bible and gain further strength with our relationships with God. And what this video was is, is uh, watching an innocent child victimized by the terror in the Middle East. She was just staring into nothingness as she was being held by a frightened doctor. She was completely oblivious to everything that was going around her. Her eyes were sad and lost. Remind me, this child was probably maybe two, three years old. You just see that her soul was just taken away from her, taken away too early. child was also breathing hard. Her eyes were wide open. As time forged ahead slowly, the child's mind began to wander. Her eyes were lazily quivering. They're closing. Slowly opening. Closing. Slowly opening. While her pupils were staring straight ahead the whole time. Her eyes were not locking on to anything. Her body was motionless. The world for me at that moment while I was watching this video paused. And I was in agony. Yet I still have hope mankind can purge itself of evil rather than accept evil for what it is. So can we? I am hopeful. I am sad with what continues to go on in this geopolitical world. It would be miraculous to fix this crisis. It would be our biggest accomplishment in my lifetime. I genuinely believe every human being has a very special spot in their heart for love, compassion, empathy and strength, hope, most of all forgiveness. Can we forgive one another and live in harmony and continue to live with our free will that God has given us. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you today with a heavy heart, burdened by the weight of sin in this world. I am reminded of the incredible sacrifice you made when you sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. He willingly gave his life so that we may find forgiveness and salvation. And for that, we are eternally grateful. Yet, Lord, as I look around this world, I see that sin continues to thrive and darkness prevails. It breaks my heart to witness the pain, suffering, and injustice that plagues our world. My soul is torn. I long for the day when our divine light will shine brightly, dispelling the shadows of sin and evil. Lord, I pray for a cleansing, a purification of our hearts and the world around us. I am ready to see the evils of this world purged. 
Let your grace and mercy flow like a cleansing river, washing away the stains of sin from our lives and from the very fabric of our society. May your love and truth be a beacon of hope in this dark world, guiding us toward a brighter and more righteous path. Help us to be agents of change, spreading love, compassion, and forgiveness to those who are lost in the depths of sin. As we journey through these challenging times, grant us the strength and wisdom to stand against the forces of darkness and to be the source of healing and reconciliation. Let us, your children, be the bearers of your light, reflecting your love to all those in need. In your divine plan, you promise us a future free from sin and suffering, and we place our trust in you. Knowing that your love is unending and your power is unmatched, we await the day when all tears will be wiped away and we will dwell in the purity of your presence for all eternity. Amen. And uh, please uh, pause for a moment to reflect deeply within your heart. And I'll do the same. I'll reflect in my own and explore the depth of our souls to perceive how genuine our convictions truly are. Let's get on with our study. Uh, today, uh, we will uh, study chapters 1 and 2 in the book of Isaiah, reflecting on the meaning and interpretation of the chapters. At the end, there will be a story of which I compose to further understand the passage and what I'm gaining from this lesson. I will not going to be offended if you comprehend the lesson in a different way. The direction of the study will likely lead you on a different path as our relationships with God are uniquely diverse. I'm hopeful this helps you examine it from another perspective, serving as a foundation for reflective and engaging dialogue on your journey while you grow spiritually along with me. We must reflect on our own faith to genuinely feel the presence of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and ask, have we truly accepted him? As we study together, we need to consider the perception of re repentance and how to seek salvation. We will need to find a way to truly share our concerns and fears about the rapture and our worthiness for salvation. We need to acknowledge the necessity to confront our hypocrisy and let go of past sins by fostering personal growth and developing a genuine relationship with God. It is important to emphasize accountability for our own actions and not using our past as justification for transgressions. We will enlighten the need to exonerate ourselves from past misdeeds. We will be able to recognize the importance of extending forgiveness to those who wronged us, signifying true mercy. We will learn and grow spiritually, initiating the cleansing of our souls. We will allow faith to guide and inspire us within the pages of the book of Isaiah. The book will serve as a source of wisdom and motivation, knowing righteousness will always be protected and evil discarded. We will not hesitate to share our desire to nurture love and personal development on this spiritual journey. When we are through, please, on your own time, go through chapters 1 and 2 in the book of Isaiah. Share with others. Share the word of God. Embrace the power within you 
and let it fuel your journey. Isaiah chapter 1. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah son of Amaz saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear me, you heavens, listen earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord, they have spurned the Holy One of Israel, and turned their backs on Him. Why should you be beaten any more? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your feet to the top of your head there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Your country is desolate, your cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. Daughter Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a cucumber field, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am wary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight and stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. See how the faithful city has become a prostitute? She once was full of justice. Righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become draws. Your choice wine is diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels, partners with thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them.
Therefore, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the Mighty One of Israel declares, Ah, I will vent my wrath on my foes and avenge myself on them, my enemies. I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge your draws and remove all your impurities. I will restore your leaders as in days of old, your rulers as at the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion will be delivered with justice, her penitent ones with righteousness. But rebels and sinners will both be broken, and those who forsake the Lord will perish. You will be ashamed because of the sacred oaks in which you have delighted. You will be disgraced because of the gardens that you have chosen. You will be like an oak with fading leaves, like a garden without water. The mighty man will become tender and his work a spark. Both will burn together and no one to quench the fire. Pretty powerful way to start a book, wouldn't you say? This chapter from the book of Isaiah contains a message from the prophet Isaiah to the people of Judah and Jerusalem during the reigns of various kings. I'm going to do my best to break this down. Kind of in a more of a simple format. You know, so with uh, chapter 1, the passage begins with uh, chapter 1 and verses 2 through 9 passage begins with uh, Isaiah lamenting how despite God nurturing and raising up his people, they have rebelled against him. Isaiah compares the people of Israel unfavorably to animals that know their master better, while Israel does not know their own God, our Lord. Isaiah condemns the people as a sinful nation full of evildoers who have turned away from the Lord the people are described as having suffered the consequences of the rebellion. Their bodies are covered in wounds and sores, signifying their spiritual and moral decay. The land of Judah is described as desolate. Cities burned and fields stripped by, by invaders. Jerusalem, daughter Zion, is depicted as being under siege. Despite severe judgment, Isaiah acknowledges that God has left survivors. Thank the Lord. Sparing them from complete destruction. The Lord rebukes the wicked for their empty rituals and sacrifices. He expresses that he does not delight in their offerings of burnt sacrifices, as they have become mere formalities. God calls upon the people to stop supporting vain contributions to seek justice, to defend the oppressed, and to care for the fatherless and widows. He urges them to turn away from wickedness and do what is right, to help each other. God tenders forgiveness and cleansing using the metaphor of turning sins that are like scarlet into white snow or crimson into wool. This tolerance is conditional upon their willingness and obedience. God warns that if they continue to resist and rebel, they will face destruction by the sword. Isaiah describes the city, which once stood for justice and righteousness, as having become corrupt and filled with murderers. The people's moral decay is likened to silver turning into draws and wine being diluted with water. The rulers are criticized for being rebellious, receiving bribes, and failing to defend the cause of the fatherless and the widows. 
God declares his intention to vent his wrath on his enemies and purge away the impurities from his people. He promises to restore righteous leaders and the city's reputation. Rebels and sinners will be broken, and those who forsake the Lord will perish. The people are warned of shame and disgrace due to their idolatrous practices. Chapter concludes with a vivid image of destruction, comparing the mighty to tender and their works to sparks, signifying that both will burn together without anyone to extinguish the fire. Chapter 1, book of Isaiah, presents a stern criticism from the prophet Isaiah to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. It highlights their rebellion, empty religious rituals, and moral decay. The passage calls for repentance, promising forgiveness, and restoration. If they turn back to God and seek justice. However, it also warns of the consequences for continued rebellion and idolatry including divine judgment and destruction. This is the message I got out of Isaiah chapter 1. In uh, chapter 1 in the book of Isaiah, I found myself deeply moved by the prophet's lamentation for our society's ignorance. It's as if Isaiah is echoing my own concerns, observing how we've turned away from God, shutting our eyes to his presence, and plugging our ears to his guidance all the while ignoring the very source of our existence. I'm compelled by Isaiah's call for a profound shift in attitude, urging us to draw nearer to God, genuinely seek the truth, and truly listen to the Almighty. Isaiah's rebuke strikes me with a sense of urgency and a fearless passion as he pleads for us to stop relying on the false hope and empty promises that often surround us. He implores us to shed the superficial manipulations and facades of glamour that distract us from true purpose and the divine. A lot of promiscuousness. It's disgusting. There's no self-respect. Self-absorption. What's in it for me? False recognition. Misguided truths. And lost hope exists throughout the world. Isaiah's warning about the impending wrath of God weighs heavily. It's a stark reminder of how the days of righteousness and care for the oppressed have been forgotten in our society. I cannot help but reflect on how God offers forgiveness. But it is contingent upon our willingness and submission to return the righteous path. To return to the righteous path. Yet for those who continue to resist and rebel... Isaiah paints a grim picture of devastation and consumption by the forces of evil. This brings home the harsh reality that in such dire circumstances no one can save us but God himself. Truth. Isaiah's message serves as a profound and urgent call to action for me. I need to place myself in a better position to do my duty in the name of the Lord. It's a reminder to remember our creator to repent. Our misguided way, for our mis- misguided ways to actively seek righteousness and to wholeheartedly turn back to God before we face the inev- inevitable consequences of our own actions. Isaiah chapter 2, Mountain of the Lord. This is what Isaiah, son of Amah, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the last days. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. 
It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The day of the Lord, you, Lord, have abandoned your people. The descendants of Jacob, they are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. Their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. So people will be brought low and everyone humbled. Do not forgive them. Go into the rocks. Hide in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and the human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty. For all that is exalted and they will be humbled. For all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all the oaks of Bashan, for all the towering mountains and all the high hills, for every lofty tower and every fortified wall, for every trading ship and every stately vessel, the arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, and the idols will totally disappear. People will flee to caves and rocks and to holes in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. In that day, people will throw away to the moles and bats their idols of silver and idols of gold, which they were made to worship. They will flee to caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. Stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? That's pretty powerful. Good warning. You really relate those that second chapter to what's going on in today. And we'll all have our own ind- individual interpretation of that. And that's how we develop our own relationship with God. So in Isaiah the chapter 2, the passage begins by stating that Isaiah the son of Amaz received a vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem, particularly regarding a future time. The mountain of the Lord's temple is described as the highest of all mountains exalted above the hills. This imagery signifies the supreme importance and prominence of God's temple. The prophecy predicts that in the last days, people from all nations will stream to this exalted mountain. They will come to the temple of the God of Jacob, seeking to learn his ways and follow his paths. The people will look to God for instruction, hoping to understand his ways and walk in righteousness. The law and the word of the Lord will go forth from Zion to guide people. God is portrayed as a righteous 
judge who will settle disputes among nations. That vision symbolizes a future of peace where instruments of war such as swords and spears will trans be transformed into tools of peaceful purpose. Nations will no longer engage in war or train for it. The passage concludes with a call to the descendants of Jacob to walk in the light of the Lord, indicating that they should live according to God's guidance and principles. And then in the day of the Lord in chapter 2, section begins with a lamentation expressing that the Lord has seemingly abandoned his people, the descendants of Jacob. The people of Judah and Jerusalem are criticized for adopting superstitions, practicing divination, and embracing pagan customs reminiscent of the Philistines. The people's land is now described as being rich in silver, gold, horses, chariots. However, this abundance has led them to idolatry as they worship the idols they have made with their own hands. Isaiah foretells that the people will be humbled and their pride will be brought low. It is stated that they should not be forgiven indicating that they will face the consequences for their actions. There is a warning to hide in the rocks and the ground to escape the fearful presence and splendor of the Lord. Arrogant individuals will be humbled and God alone will be exalted. The passage goes on describing a day when God will bring low all that is proud and exalted, including cedars, oaks, mountains, hills, towers, walls, ships, and vessels. Human pride will be chastened and idols will disappear. People will seek refuge in caves and holes in the ground to escape the presence of the Lord when he rises to shake the earth. And on that day, people will throw away their idols of silver and gold, even giving them to moles and bats as they recognize the futility of their idolatry. And then the chapter concludes with a warning to stop trusting in mere humans who are frail and transient. Instead, we are urged to put our trust in the Lord. You know, in summary, this uh, chapter presents a vision of a future where God's temple in Jerusalem is exalted, drawing people from all nations to seek his guidance and live in peace. However, it contrasts this vision with the present state of the people who have turned away from God, engaged in idolatry, and embraced pagan customs. The passage foretells a day of divine judgment and calls for the repentance, emphasizing the futility of human pride and the need to trust in the Lord alone. In the message from Isaiah chapter 2, I find myself immersed in the prophet's compelling vision of a future shaped by the presence and authority of the Lord. It's as though I'm witnessing this profound moment where the mountain of the Lord stands tall, symbolizing his divine presence and power. The Lord's temple is being constructed in that sacred space. The yearning for salvation is palpable. Forgiveness flows abundantly like soothing rain from the hollowed grounds of Zion. I can feel the weight of the Lord's teachings and wisdom emanating from this place. Resolving disputes and conflicts among people. It's a vision of transformation where the instruments of war, once symbols of destruction, are miraculously transformed into instruments of peace. The era of warfare and strife dissipates. Replaced by a shared path where humanity walks in harmony, following the ways of the Lord, ushering in a profound sense of unity and peace. Yet, amidst the promise of this renewal, I'm struck by Isaiah's stern warning. Those who have strayed away from 
Righteousness, who have turned away from the Lord, will desperately seek refuge elsewhere, hoping to evade the consequences of their actions. The arrival of the Lord will bring upheaval, shaking the very foundations of the earth, causing walls built on pride and arrogance to crumble before the power of humility. With a sense of urgency, Isaiah implores me to place my unshakable trust in the Lord rather than relying on the frailty of humanity. His words resonate deeply as he passionately urges me to reject the flawed ways of mankind and instead seek refuge and salvation in the Lord's boundless compassion. It becomes evident that to truly follow the path of righteousness, I must cast aside the misguided direction of humanity and wholeheartedly embrace the divine guidance offered by the Lord. I must completely trust in the Lord. In essence, Isaiah's vision in chapter 2 reveals a future illuminated by the rays of peace, justice, and righteousness, all under the benevolent authority of the Lord. There is a stark contrast between those who align themselves with the Lord's ways and those who reject Him. It serves as a poignant reminder of the need for unwavering trust and reliance on the Lord's wisdom rather than placing undue faith on the endeavors of humanity. And this uh, brings me to the story that I came up with. And here's that story. In a bustling city, amidst the throngs of hurried pedestrians, there was a crowded street where something extraordinary unfolded. As I made my way through the hurried crowd, I noticed a beggar sitting at the corner. His eyes were filled with a mix of hope and resignation. His tattered clothes and weary countenance told a story of struggle and hardship that had defined his life for too long. I could not help but be moved by his plight and a deep desire to help him. That de desire to help him developed within me. Yet before I could take a step forward, I witnessed a remarkable scene. A person ahead of me, a stranger like myself, reached out to the beggar with genuine compassion. Their hand extended, offering not just loose change, but something more profound, a glimmer of kindness and understanding. The beggar, initially hesitant and taken aback, slowly accepted the outstretched hand. It was a pivotal moment, a connection forged between two souls, one who had known privilege and another who had endured hardship as they clasped hands a subtle transformation began to unfold. Unbeknownst to most, the stranger was an angel in disguise, sent to test the hearts of those passing by. With that touch, the angel's true nature revealed itself. A radiant light surrounded them both, and the beggar felt an astonishing surge of strength and vitality coursing through his veins. It was as if he had been given a second chance at life, a chance to rise from his struggles and to find a new purpose. Tears welled up in the beggar's eyes as he realized the depth of his encounter. He knew he needed to express his gratitude and to seek forgiveness from the Lord for the times he had lost hope and faith. With the newfound heavenly confidence, he rose to his feet, his steps steadier than they had been in years. The once desolate beggar became a beacon of hope on that crowded street. He dedicated himself to helping others in need, sharing the kindness he had received from the angel, 
His life became a testament to the transformative power of compassion and faith. As the years passed, the beggar's story spread throughout the city, inspiring countless others to lend a helping hand to those in need. The memory of that faithful day served as a reminder that even in the midst of a bustling world, angels of mercy walk among us, ready to lift us up when we need it most. And in their presence, we find the strength to change our lives for the better, to seek forgiveness, and to live abundantly with heavenly confidence. From my personal perspective through all this study, I've come to realize the significance of refraining from passing judgment on others. It's become clear that by assessing the emotional state or actions of others and making critical judgments, I may unintentionally overlook the unique relationship that each individual may have with our Savior. It is why we must refrain from judging others. And I am learning a lot as we study these chapters and as we begin this journey. It's all too easy to fall into the trap of ridiculing, chastising, or harboring negative emotions when I engage in judgment. I'm human, yet I've come to understand that it's not my place to cast judgment on the actions of others. That authority belongs to our Lord alone. When I engage in these judgmental behaviors, I'm essentially disrespecting Him and His authority. Be it words, actions, gestures, or artwork, only the Lord knows the truth behind every action. This is really important. Only the Lord knows. Deep in an individual's soul, only do they know why an action is committed, and hopefully it is undone in the name of the Lord. This realization has brought home the importance of humility and compassion. I've learned that it's crucial to refrain from harsh or disparaging judgments and instead focus on my own personal growth and relationship with our Savior. It's through love, forgiveness, and empathy that I can truly honor my faith and embody its teachings. Thus, God has led me to reflect on righteousness. In my journey, I strive to cultivate a non-judgmental and compassionate attitude towards others, recognizing the potential for redemption and growth in every individual. I want to align my actions with the values of my faith, which emphasize love and understanding as pathways to a more harmonious and compassionate world. In doing so, I hope to show respect not only to my faith, but also to the inherent worth and dignity of every person I encounter. Amen. Please be sure to uh, like, subscribe, and share Crossroads of Faith with your friends, family, and social groups. We will connect again on chapters 3 and 4. And in between these chapters, as we move forward, I will throw in some other episodes. You know, as, as I've been studying this, I came across some information about you know, artificial intelligence and the technology and where this world is heading. And I got a really good discussion about that. And got some good discussions about other stuff, too. And, you know, we could discuss blasphemy and uh, how I study and go about that and try to understand that. Uh, so, you know, it, anything that deals with our everyday lives, you know, we're going to throw in some episodes in between our studies of the chapters there and uh, just reflect on that and really put some thought and how, uh, how God can guide us through this ever-evolving world. So I just want to say thank you for joining and uh, have a good day. <laughs>